So I want to lay in some foundation teaching. We started uh, two weeks ago uh, with a part one of a, a war in our souls. Uh, if you didn't catch that message, you weren't here, you can go on our podcast and listen to that. And uh, I think this is critical teaching for, for us and our uh, spiritual lives, and we'd like you to get in on this. And so uh, if you can track tonight, I think this will this will help you. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We're looking at verses 6 and 7. The background to this little section of Scripture we're going to look at is Adam bit into the fruit. He and Eve ate the fruit. And they were born again in reverse. It was like they were born again, and all of a sudden, death came in their system. And it affected everything. It affected their position. It affected their, their, the glory that was upon them. It affected their... Uh, all of a sudden, they became afraid. They'd never experienced fear before. It all came because of the fall. But something changed, fundamentally changed, in their lives that they didn't know. And that was something happened in their nature where the enemy actually sowed something into them, but it didn't show up right away until they had kids. And once they had kids, they realized these little ones have something corrupted inside of them. And, um, and it showed up in their behavior, showed up in their attitudes, even showed up in their relationships. The oldest son went, goes and kills the younger son over worship, murders him. Uh, profound experience, and that unleashed murder upon murder upon murder that went throughout the whole human race, but it began with this one act. Leading up to this was uh, this moment where they decided that they were going to go and worship the Lord, and the way they were going to do it is they're going to present an offering before the Lord. The one who was the keeper of the sheep, he took one of his choices lambs and, and, and slew it, and set it up as an offering, and when he brought it before the Lord. The other one was a vegetable gardener, and he just went, and he just did what was easy for him, got some veggies out of the ground, and he went in. And there's no law that said that they had to bring a sacrifice or there had to be shedding of blood. That wouldn't happen for another, uh, oh, several thousand years where God would require that. So this was something that they knew in their heart was the thing to do, but the one just took the easy way, just did whatever was very easy for him, something that didn't cost him anything. And so when he presented it, the Lord didn't receive it. He didn't rejoice over it. He didn't somehow communicate that he was pleased the way he, he did with Abel. When Abel brought a sacrifice, God accepted it. But when Cain brought his sacrifice, he knew that it wasn't acceptable to the Lord. Somehow he knew all of this at a heart level. And instead of apologizing, instead of going and making it right, he just got into a sulk. He got brooding. He got depressed. He got angry. And it says this, and, and the Lord says in uh, verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6, why are you angry? Do you have an anger problem sometimes? It's a profound question when the Lord actually says, why are you angry? He's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking because he wants us to know. It's a question 
to get us to stop and to think about it. Why are you angry? He's, why are you depressed? Why are you sullen? His whole mood changed. And he says, if you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lying at the door. And he uses the word sin not as an act of sin, but sin as a personality, the personification of sin. And this runs all the way through the Bible. Uh, when he talks about sin in Romans, for example, it's not talking about an act of sin. It's talking about a nature of sin. And it, it, he's treating this sin as if it had a personality. And he says, this sin wants you. This sin is at the door looking for an opportunity to take over. He's looking for an opportunity to, to, to get dominion over you. And he said, it wants to control you, but you must control it. Well, it'd be thousands of years before man was in a position where finally, through the, through the death and the sacrifice of Jesus, that you actually have dominion over sin, and sin no longer has dominion over you to do what it desires to do. You can actually say no to it. But it's an actual nature. You've seen it. You've seen it in your kids. Have you ever corrected your kids or, or showed some kind of disapproval for their behavior? And, and the way they treat you in response is they become sullen. And they become angry. They give you the silent treatment. They're punishing you for punishing them. When my kids would do that, I would say... I will punish you for this. I will discipline you. I'll spank you for the way you're treating me because of the way I spanked you. Because that behavior, that, that expression comes from their fallen nature. And the only thing that's going to stop that is pain. And so, uh, my kids, that was the deal. If, if they didn't take the punishment in the proper way and they, they gave me the silent treatment and they would give me the cold shoulder and punish me by walking around with mopey, long faces. They got a spanking for that. Someone should have spanked Cain right about now. Let me just say this, and this isn't really part of the, the message, but I think it needs to be said. There's a movement, you may have heard it, where people feel like they have the need to forgive God. That they've stopped going to church. They stopped reading their Bible. They don't pray anymore. They don't worship anymore because they feel like God's done something he didn't come through the way they thought he should, or he did something, or they prayed and it didn't happen. And so they withdraw their heart. That's their fallen nature at work. And, and just so you know, my theory on this, God never needs forgiven. There's a misunderstanding. And I, I've walked people through this process and helped them understand. And as they get through it, they realize, oh, I, I was the one that missed it. I was the one that misunderstood. I misunderstood his heart. I misunderstood his ways. God never needs forgiveness. He does all things well. He is righteous, altogether righteous. And so there, if, there's a, if there's that anger toward God, there's something amiss on your part, something you're not understanding about the heart of God. Believe me, it'll turn out that way every time. So there's a nature, a nature that came into, into Adam, into his heart, went out through his seed and come up, showed up in his sons and grandsons. And next thing you know, the whole earth is ruined. It's called corruption. It was just ruined by the fallen nature of man.
Let's fast forward several thousand years to Galatians chapter 5. If you turn with me there, Galatians chapter 5. What Paul does for these young Gentile believers is he begins to help them to discern themselves, to help them understand what makes them tick. And more than anybody else, Paul had a revelation of the two natures that are at work within us. And some people say, well, why would God give us two natures? Isn't that kind of schizophrenic? Well, he really didn't. The first nature came from the enemy. That was something that came through the fall. And what God did is give us an alternative nature, an alternative response on the inside of us so that we don't have to do what our old nature dictates. And that's so clear in Galatians chapter 5. If you look in verses 19 and 20, it says, now the works of the flesh are, are these. It's evident, self-evident. The works of the flesh. So the, the word flesh or the word sin, where it's with the context, you look at it and you see it's personified. It's not a single act of sin. Uh, the NIV does a great job of changing that every time. And they put in sinful nature or fallen nature. It has different names. Uh, Paul called it the old man. Then he called the new nature that we have the new man. Uh, Jesus called this fallen nature self. You need to deny yourself. If you go for counseling, they'll call it ego. It, but, but it's all that sinful, fallen nature. And there's no healing for that nature. There's no deliverance. There's no pill. There's no medicine. If they gave you a lobotomy, it wouldn't change it. The only thing that you can do, pain reduces its, its power in our life. Pain is really important. That's why it needs to happen when they're young. But even when God deals with me, he uses pain because it curbs that, that fallen nature. The new man is called the hidden man of the heart. It's called the heart. It's called a, a, a renewed spirit. And, and we'll see all through scripture where this shows up. And, and in Galatians 5, Paul's contrasting these two natures. Now, the first one, he says, here's the works of the flesh. You'll know that it's flesh inside you because your, your nature, your fallen nature is prone to adultery. It's prone to fornication. It's a sex addict. It's that, it's that lustful uh, part that you of you that longs for that which is unlawful for you to have, uncleanness, and that's translated dirty-mindedness, lewdness. And then it gets into spiritual things like idolatry and witchcraft, sorcery, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, all kinds of behavioral problems that wreck relationships, that wreck marriages, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, including Cain killing his younger brother, Abel. Drunkenness. And what drunkenness is, it's not just, it, it, you can be drunk on food. You can be drunk on entertainment. You can, be drunk on, you can be drunk on a lot of different things. It's anything that is in excess, is taken to excess. Partying or revelries and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will keep you out of God's best. They'll keep you out of a relationship with him now. It'll keep you out of heaven if they can. You cannot act on that fallen nature. And it has a propensity towards this list of things and more. And this describes 
the condition of the earth before the flood. These things were, were just rampant before the flood. Now watch what he does in verse 22, down to verse 26. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's the works of the flesh, and now it's the fruit of the Spirit. So fruit is a byproduct. Works is something that you, it's an action, something you do. But the fruit of the Spirit is different. Now this Spirit, it's, it's not Holy Ghost. It doesn't come from the baptism of the Spirit. It comes from the nature of Jesus who comes and lives inside of you. And it's his heart. It's his nature coming out of you. And, and every time you're uh, in a position to act on a, a, a work of the flesh, he's right there with a, an alternative response. He's right there with self-control. He's right there with a love motivation that's other-centered rather than self-centered. And he provides you an alternative. And it's a fruit. It's not something you can produce. You can't produce a grape. But he inside of you wants to come out and express himself. And it's altogether lovely. Look at it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Long-suffering. We're patient with things, but we're long-suffering with people. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Notice the context isn't the baptism of the Spirit. It's the contrast between two natures. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying, other, uh, envying one another. What's that saying is you can't take credit for your good, your good nature. You can't take credit for any good thing that's inside of you. The reason that love came out, the reason that faithfulness showed up, the reason that any of these good qualities came forth is because of Jesus inside of you. You can't look down your nose at other people and, they, and say, they're just not as good as I am. They're not as spiritual as I am. You can't take credit for any good thing that Jesus does through you. It's his spirit that works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's not you. It's the spirit of Christ in you. You can't take credit for that. At the same time, and this is a really important point, at the same time, you can't take blame for what your old nature, that fallen nature, wants to do. So he'll suggest that you lust or you lie or you, you, you take advantage of a, some situation. He'll, he'll come forward immediately. He'll want to do something. That's not you. That's not the real you. That's your fallen nature. He always speaks first. He always speaks loudest. He always expresses his uh, passions and desires. And you have the freedom to step back and say, all right, all right, that's my fallen nature. That's, that came from Adam. That's in me, but that's not me. Me, I'm born again. Me, I love God. I love the things of God. I hate everything my flesh loves. And somebody has to say no to what he wants, that flesh. You have to deny yourself. Somebody has to do that. Nobody can do that for you. 
Your pastor can't deny yourself. Your, pa- your parents, the police, your spouse. The only person who can say no to that, sa- that selfish nature is you. But it's not really you. You, the real you, is born again. The real you is alive unto God. And his nature will not only allow you to have self-control, but will provide an alternative response. If you wait for it, it'll come. And he'll say, this is a more loving way to do it. This is a better, this is something, you're going to have to be patient with this person. And he'll provide you with the grace the desire, the ability to actually be patient or long-suffering with someone who's acting up. It's not you. It's not because you're so, so good at it. It's because you've yielded to his spirit. Let me read it out of a God's Word translation. Uh, this is a beautiful little translation. Listen to this, and I think Beth will get it on the screen for us up here. But listen to this. I think they nail it when they describe these two natures that are at odds within us, which creates a war in our soul. Listen to this. Listen how they captured it. But the spiritual nature produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are no laws against things like that. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their corrupt nature along with its passions and desires. If we live by our spiritual nature, then our lives need to conform to our spiritual nature. We cannot allow ourselves to act arrogantly and provoke, uh, to provoke or envy each other. He's talking about two natures inside of us. I have both of these natures going off in me all the time, every waking moment. There's a war in my soul, and somebody has to win this thing. Not, not once and for all. I wish it was like a new suit that you could put on and that it's only love, joy, and peace. I wish that were true, but it's not, not the case with me. I'm in a, a, a constant war. Let me give you an example of this that I experienced. And this is so real to me because it, it was one of those moments where I really began to see myself, discern myself in a, in, a, in a different way. The very first mission trip that I ever took was to India. And we had a, a couple living uh, in Hong Kong who were from our church. We had helped send them out, and we're supporting them, and they were there going into China, smuggling Bibles, and, and doing all kinds of mission work among the missionaries who were living there. And so they asked if I would stop in and see them and spend some time with them and see their ministry and be with them, and so I was glad to do that. And then as a treat, they said, we've, we've provided a special place for you. It's a, it's a, a home for missionaries, like a stop-off place for missionaries to rest I had jet lag pretty severely uh, from flying over there. And uh, uh, they said, we've provided this place for you. You have it for, I think it was five days. And I could just pray and get my heart ready for India. And so it was a small island about an hour out in the South China Sea called Chung Chow Island. And it was just a remote fishing village and had lots of beaches and pathways, walkways uh, all through the island. And I loved walking them, and, 
And so one day I, I'd got up and I was just going to go and get down by the ocean and pray. And as I was walking through the village, I saw this store that I hadn't noticed before. And it was just filled with, with junk, filled like an antique store, just stacked high with unusual things, things I'd never seen before. And of course, I didn't have any money to be able to buy anything and didn't want to haul anything to, to India. But I just thought, well, I'll just do a quick lap in the store, see what they've got in there. It was, I was curious. And so I stepped in. There's a lady at the counter, and I said hello to her. And I began to walk among the piles of junk, walking down the aisle. And I got to the back of the store, and she couldn't see me. I couldn't see her. And I looked down, and there's a great big wallet sitting among the junk. And it was just a great big fat wallet. Money was bulging out of it. All kinds of money. It looked like a hamburger. It looked like a Big Mac with lettuce coming out the sides. It was filled with money. And right away inside me, a voice said, just pick that up, keep browsing, and walk out the store as if it was yours. And I was shocked by it. I was so shocked, I just, I froze. And as I waited, another response came that said very calmly, very cool, just said, we don't live this way. That first voice got a little excited and said, just pick it up and take it. No one sees you. No one knows you. No one, know, no one even knows you're here. Just pick it up and walk out of the store with it. And again, I was shocked at, at that, kind of, that kind of thinking. And I waited, and a, a second response came. It said, but God is looking. And it spoke again, it got a little more angry, a little more intense, and just said, just don't leave it here, pick it up and take it. You don't have enough money for this mission trip, you could use this money. And if you can't use it, just take it and give it away. And right away, again, that second voice came, just as calm as can be, cool. Just say, what would you want someone to do if they found your wallet? Which is... Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So I picked up the wallet. And I walked to the front of the store. And I, I gave it to the woman. And I walked outside. And I felt so good. I said, I love it when I win. I like, I like me when I win. And it was such a battle in my soul. And I realized it wasn't the little white angel and the little black angel that are on my shoulders that are going. It was all inside of me. And I realized that first, that first response, a loud, aggressive response, is always my flesh. And if I wait, the spirit that's in my spirit will always give an alternative response. Always. Always. If I wait for it. I realized after, if I had taken that wallet, if I had kept that wallet, I might better just had caught the next plane home because I wouldn't have been able to pray. I wouldn't have been able to believe God. I wouldn't have been able to, to trust him. It would have wrecked my whole spiritual connection because when you do something like that, death goes to work. I would have felt icy cold for having stolen something. 
It's funny, I, I got a chuckle out of it. After I got walking, I realized I was free. I won that battle, but I created a battle for that lady in her soul. See what she does with that wallet. None of my business, I guess. Do you have this war inside of you? Is there a war in your soul? Or is it just me? Paul described it to the Gentiles. He wrote to the Colossians at length. He wrote to the Ephesians. He wrote to the Romans. In fact, I encourage you, if you could take Romans 6, 7, and 8 and just camp there. Get some different translations. It's exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's the whole story of what I'm talking about. But in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, uh, Beth, you don't have to put this up. But it's this whole contrast of, of Christ living inside of us. And as a result of it, we put to death uh, the members that are at work within us and what they desire. And he says, now, uh, put off the old man and put on the new man. I wish that was a once and for all thing, but it's not. It's moment by moment, decision by decision, issue by issue, relationship conflict with relationship conflict. Someone will do something that will offend you. They'll say something. They'll disappoint you. And your old man will furnish you with a response right away. He speaks first. He speaks loudest. It's not enough just to say no to him. You'll need an alternative response, something where you can step out in love, something where you step out in forbearance or you step out in long-suffering, faithfulness. You say, he's my friend. I'm going to be faithful to him. He does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about this corrupt nature, nature that's inside of us. And he, and he says, uh, put off and put on. Put on the new man that's created according to God and righteousness and holiness. You have an alternative nature that you didn't have before you were born again. You have now a response that you never had before, and it comes from receiving Jesus as your Savior. You just have to do it. Now, this isn't in our notes, and Beth, you won't find this on the screen. But I was reading Romans chapter 8. I love this chapter. I think it's probably people's favorite chapter. But in verse 14, it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And a lot of people lift that verse out of context, and they take it and they say, now I need a new house, I need a new job, I need, a, I need, I need guidance. And they take this verse, and they said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Except when you read the context, it has nothing to do with guidance. It has to do with which nature you allow to drive, which one are you gonna? What's which one are you gonna allow to be behind the wheel of your life? Which one are you gonna let drive you? If you're led by the Spirit of God, you are the Son of God. You are a Son of God. It's His nature at work within you. It has nothing to do with guidance and praying for direction. It has to do with what kind of response is gonna come forth. It's a powerful, powerful difference when we know that. This allows us to say, it doesn't matter what I face. If I let, Jesus will always come forth and furnish me with an alternative response. Then all I have to do is act on it. And, and I can actually walk out this Christian life saying no to my lower fallen nature, saying yes to my higher spiritual nature that's supplied by Jesus. You can win every battle. You can solve every conflict. This will change your marriage. This will change all kinds of relationships. 
It's funny, you know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he says, there's nothing wrong with you getting married, single people, young people, virgins. Nothing wrong with you getting married, except that I need, you, I need to warn you, you will have trouble in the flesh. What ruins, what corrupts most marriages is these two natures are at work in that beautiful bride, and that handsome groom that you found. Those two natures are, are at work, and they're going to be in conflict with each other. She's going to say, why don't we do this? And he says, why don't we do this? And there's the selfishness that comes out in the marriage. All of a sudden, the, the conflict, the budding of heads, is actually your flesh being against her flesh. Her flesh trying to dominate your flesh. Your flesh rebelling. Your flesh saying, I don't want, I don't want to do what you want me to do. Next thing you know, there's a war, not just in your soul. There's a war in your home. And it's the battle, it's the battle between you and your children. It's not that sweet little child of yours. It's the nature within them. He said, I warn you this, no matter how godly you are, no matter how good of a choice you made in choosing that person you're going to marry, you'll have trouble in the flesh. It's a fact of life. It's a reality. Here's a question that maybe you've asked already. Maybe it's crossed your mind as you're sitting there. Penn's describing this whole thing as if it's just a war with inside of me, and it's between two natures inside of me. But where's the devil in all this? Have you ever asked that question? Where's the devil? You don't talk very much about the devil. I, don't, I just don't give him much play. I don't give him much uh, credit or claim. Because for me... I don't think very much about him. He's not the biggest issue in my life. The biggest issue is, is within me. Is that true of you? In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 37 to verse 47, there's an amazing exchange between the Pharisees and Jesus. And it's all about their genesis. It's all about their origin. They said, we are, uh, Abraham is our father. We came from Abraham. He says, well, if Abraham was really your father, you would do what Abraham did. Because we do what our fathers do. And so he said, Abraham is not your father. And then Jesus says this. It's very, very profound. It's an amazing discussion. He says, your father is the devil. Now, I don't say, I don't recommend you go do this. Don't do this among your unbelieving friends. This will get you in hot water. It says, your father is the devil, but it's a major insight. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So what this is helping me to understand is that fallen nature within inside of me, the genesis of that nature is the devil. It was through Adam that the devil sowed his nature, his seed, that desire to murder, that desire to lie, that desire to lust came from the devil. And so if, if you're not surrendered to God, you don't live for, for the Lord, you don't know the Lord, that nature, the, the, the author of it, he's your father. It's a profound insight. Paul described him to the Corinthians as the God of this world. 
God with a small g, because there's a God with a capital G who's sovereign, who's actually in charge. He's not talking about planet Earth. He's not talking about uh, trees and flowers and bees and livestock and the animal kingdom. He's not talking about that. There's a world system. There's a world system that's at work here, and he's the God of that system. He's actually what a God of the system who's keeping people from actually receiving Jesus and recognizing who Jesus is. Uh, there's an interesting exchange. When the devil took Jesus, Luke chapter 4, took Jesus up into a high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in an instant and the glories of it. And he says, if you'll worship before me, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world and the glory of it. I'll give it to you. Then Satan says something that's profound. He said, because it was delivered to me. When you look up that word delivered, it's, it's surrendered. It was surrendered to the devil by Adam. Adam was the God of this world in the sense with a small g. Adam had dominion. Adam was in charge of everything. Adam was given the authority to name everything. He, he had major responsibility, major authority. And the devil tricked him in the sitting and took that authority that was given to Adam. And so there's a part where the enemy's at work and he's very limited authority. It's not the same authority that God has, but it is authority. And it was delivered to him. It was surrendered. Adam didn't know it, but he lost his authority. He lost his position. Actually, the very same war that you and I are experiencing, it's over your authority. It's over. So you don't, have, you don't have authority with God. You don't have authority in the world. You don't have authority with people. You don't have influence. You don't have any pull. The enemy wants to mar, corrupt that authority. He wants it lost. He wants it taken. In fact, let me just say this while we're talking. The legalism that we've all come under at different times in our life and the people who are controlling that legalism, who are laying down the rules, it's all an issue of authority. It's an issue of corrupt authority. That's, that's the, the big part that we need to get free of that system because the authority is corrupt. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.2 and he called him the prince of the power of the air. That's authority. He's the prince of the power of the air. John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus referred to the devil as the ruler of this world. Then John later wrote, he says, uh, the whole world is, is under the sway of the wicked one. No wonder he wrote, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world for the things of the world are not of your father they're of the they're of the enemy there's a part there's a pull where the enemy wants to get us pulled into this world system he wants us to be affected by it and here our distance is our our goal is to pull out of it not be influenced by the world not come under its influences there's lots of ways where that shows up and we'll talk more about that at some other time let me close with this. It's an amazing story. Jesus comes to the disciples one day and he says, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist resurrected. 
they believed in the resurrection. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're uh, Elijah. He's, who do you say I am? Peter speaks up first. He says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, Peter, you could not have known this except you've received a revelation from, from Father God. Father God has shown you this. You know this by revelation. And it's upon that revelation that everything will be built. Peter must have got a little puffed up. He must have thought, man, I'm hearing from God. <laughs> I got a word from the Lord. I, I have a revelation. Kind of looking at the, at the 11 other guys who are standing there thinking, I'm the one that got it. It's like the student who got the right, who got the right answer. So Jesus uses that moment, and he begins to say, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. The leaders, the elders of the church are going to kill me. Well, Peter got a hold of his elbow and pulled him off to the side and rebuked him and said, not so, Lord. And Jesus pulled back from him, looked him in the eye, and said, get behind me, Satan. What a moment. He looks at Peter but calls him Satan. Again, don't try this, especially when you're in a, having a fight with your wife. This does not work. This is not the thing to, to pull out. But Jesus did it, and it's a tremendous insight. One moment, Peter can be used by God and have revelation, almost a prophetic insight. The next moment, he's actually being used by the devil, and the devil's speaking through his mouth, rebuking Jesus, trying to prevent him from doing the will of God. Isn't that an interesting contrast that that can all happen within five minutes? Jesus gives an insight into how the devil got a hold of Peter. And Jesus says this. He said in the King James, it says, For thou savest the things of men more than the things of God. New King James says, well, uh, my paraphrase of it would be maybe easier. It says, you want what you want more than you want what God wants. Anytime you want what you want more than you want what God wants, the enemy can take, gain access to your flesh because that selfish nature is a Trojan horse that he rides, a Trojan horse that he put inside of you, and he can hijack your spiritual life anytime you want what you want more than you want what God wants. It's what wrecks board meetings. It's what divides churches. Churches, good churches, split, go off in several different directions because somebody wants what they want more than they want what God wants. The way to make a marriage work is when we both want what God wants more than we want what we want. It's not me versus you. I just want God's best for our marriage. I want God's best for our home. And he says, you know, that's what I want too. Well, that allows you just to go places. You can do things. You can decide stuff. Because your hearts are all towards God. All you want is what pleases God. You want God's will. Peter let the enemy come in. Where is the enemy in this whole story? Well, he's on the outside. He's not on the inside. He's on the outside. But he has certain amounts of influence toward me through the mouths of other people. Largely. And if he can use your mouth, he will. And if he can use your mouth to hurt somebody or, or cause someone to quit the race, he will. 
It's funny that someone could be your best friend, that God used them to encourage you. Out of their mouth came uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and you're so grateful for that. And then they turn around and they prophesy something that's just so carnal, so, so selfish, so corrupt. How can that happen? Does that mean you should get rid of that person, bar them from your life, have no more to do with them? No. They were just used for the moment. Because in that moment, they wanted what they wanted more than they wanted what God wanted. It's happened to me. I, of all the times that Heather's been hurt, it hasn't been church people, and it hasn't been our family. The number one person who's hurt her has been me, or at least that fallen part of me that sometimes wants what it wants so much that the times that she's been hurt the most, the times she's cried the hardest, has happened because of me yielding to my flesh and letting him speak through me. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, my wife was crushed. My wife is dispirited. She's hurt. It's happened. No one else has the power to do that but because I'm the closest person in her life. You can say, well, that won't happen in my marriage. <laughs> has it? If it hasn't, it just hasn't had time yet. But there's a war in your soul. There's two natures inside of you. One old Indian, he said, he said, there's two wolves inside of me. One is ferocious and the other is wise. They said, well, which one's the strongest? He says, whichever one I feed. You feed that fallen nature. You feed that flesh. It will take over your life. It's a fact of life. Amen? Is this helpful? You have to discern yourself. You have to step back and say, okay, now which part of me is operating right now? Because I need to know which, one, which way I'm going to go. And all of that just takes seconds to decide. But not everything that comes out of your mouth, not everything that comes out of your, what you think is guidance, really comes from the right part of you. And you need to discern yourself. So do I. Let's stand together. Why don't we pray? Lord, help me. There's a war in my soul. There's a war in my members. Help me to win this thing. Not once and for all, but Lord, again and again and again. Help me to figure me out. Help me to understand what's happening inside of me. Thank you that your word sheds light on this. No psychologist, no counselor, no book. It's your word. It's the Bible that understands me most, understands me best. Help me to go deep. Help me to figure me out so I can win this thing, so I can walk this thing out. I want to win. I want to please you. I want to walk a walk that's satisfying. Help me, Father. Help me to know me. In Jesus' name. Now, if there's something you're going through that you need prayer for, I'd be glad to do that for a few minutes. If you come up to the front, I'll pray for you. Otherwise, we're going to head down to the lake. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you.
be part of that. And we're just going to sing and worship for maybe for an hour, uh, intermix with some prayer for the, for the community. We want revival to happen. We want life to happen. If you want to join us for that, uh, we'd love to see that happen. So, all right. If you want to get a book, there's a book on the, on the counter. You're welcome to pick one up. They're $20 each, and it tells you how you can, how you can buy them. God bless you.